Galatians 2.15, Ezekiel had a vision of a valley of dry bones. And he was told, Ezekiel prophesied of these dry bones, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord, and live. And so um, Ezekiel prophesies to these dry bones, and muscles come, and and uh, the tendons and ligaments and all of those things come together, and skin covers the bodies. And he says, then prophesy uh, for the Spirit of God to enter in. And so he does, and, and this breath of God enters into this group of dry bones, and all of a sudden they come to life. And they're an army. Dry, dead bones versus an army. You see, the dry bones were Israel. Israel had failed God so many times that God had removed his presence. They had gone into captivity. And uh, now they were faced with just, just thinking, okay, there is no future for us. But God says there is a future. I have a plan. And I'm going to take out your heart of stone and put within you a heart of flesh that beats after me. And God did that through his son, Jesus Christ, who would come. And Jesus made a way through his death on the cross and his resurrection for us to be changed from the inside out. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Uh, We need the work that only Jesus can do. Uh, We need to be changed through the saving work of Jesus, for if we don't know him as our Lord and Savior... But we also need his work in our lives on a regular, daily basis. Uh, The Bible says that we need to be filled with the Spirit, to be on an ongoing basis, energized and strengthened and filled with his power. Uh, That happens as we put our trust in him, as we draw near to him. And we draw near to him because Jesus has paid the price and he's made a way for us to draw near. Um, in the Old Covenant, they had the veils that separated the Israelites. The first veil over the Holy of Holies separated the priests. Only the high priest could enter. Uh, the next veil separated the priests from the people. Uh, all of the priests who ministered in that holy place could go in, but the people could not. Then the veil of the courtyard separated those who were not Israelites. And there was this sense of separation, separation, separation throughout the Old Testament. But on the cross, Jesus said these words, it is finished. The veil was torn and the way was made open for us to come into God's presence. I want to tell you something. It's not just true that the blood of Jesus Christ saves sinners. It is true that he saves sinners. But it's also true that the blood of Jesus Christ every day that we live as a child of God opens the way for us to go into God's presence. And so this is the blessing that has come through Jesus Christ. And uh, Paul is writing because there are some who were wanting to go back to the old way. And Paul says, look, the law is good. It points out your sin and so forth because it leads you to Christ. But don't go back to the law and try to establish your righteousness on the law because our righteousness is imperfect. And the law of God, it just works up that sin nature in us to make us want to sin. 
And even though the law is good, the sin nature in us rebels against it and we are guilty before God and we sin against God. Instead, we need to put our trust in the righteousness of Christ. And as we put our trust in His righteousness, we can live in the victory that comes through the Holy Spirit of God living through us and not according to this old way of the law. And so we need to put our trust in Jesus Christ, not only for our salvation, but also for the abundant life that he wants to bring to us. The title of my message is Called to God's New Way. Look with me at verse 15 of Galatians 2. We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that no one is justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. But if we ourselves are also found to be sinners while seeking to be justified by Christ, is Christ then a promoter of sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild this system I tore down, I show myself to be a lawbreaker. Called to God's new way. What has God called us to? Well, he has called us, first of all, to a new trust. To a new trust. You see, in the Old Testament, they were saved by faith, just like we're saved in the New Testament. They're also saved by the blood of Christ in the Old Testament. The Bible says in Genesis 15, Abraham believed God, and God credited it to him as righteousness. And so this credited righteousness took place under the Old Covenant as well. They were saved on credit, uh, as I heard uh, Rick Shepherd share one time. Uh, God, through Christ, saved those under the Old Covenant, but they were under the Old Covenant. And so uh, we're saved to a new trust. What is that new trust? Well, it involves a more specific object of trust, and that's Jesus Christ. Since Jesus Christ has come... We are called to a new person to trust. And that trust is in Jesus Christ. But it's also not only trusting Jesus Christ for salvation, but also trusting in his Holy Spirit to live that life through us. And so our righteousness is is not our own righteousness. It's the Holy Spirit living through us the righteousness that God desires. Um, It's also called to trust in a new access through Christ to God. The wonderful thing about justification and what that means, justification is just a fancy word that means you have been acquitted by God and clothed in the righteousness of Christ. You and I are acquitted not because we deserve to be acquitted. If you put your faith in Christ, you're acquitted because God credits Christ's righteousness to you. There's a scripture in Isaiah that says our righteousness is as filthy rags to God. Um, If you look at Billy Graham, uh, probably most of us would look at Billy Graham and have respect for Billy Graham. Billy Graham's righteousness in the eyes of God is as filthy rags. Um, That's why he's saying, look, don't put your trust in your own righteousness. Don't try to establish your righteousness by trying to follow the law of God. No, put your trust in. In the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. And uh, what that does is 
Every time we come into God's presence, we come not because we're worthy, but because Christ is worthy. And I, I don't know, have you ever had the experience, maybe the devil whispered this in your ear and you were thinking this, but um, I know I've had the experience of, of thinking something like this. You know, I'm not really worthy to come into God's presence. I, you know, look at what I've done. And, and, and maybe you feel the weight of your sin. But did you know if you're a child of God, God does want you to confess your sin to restore the fellowship and so forth. But you're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So you should never be shy about going into God's presence because you never come on the basis of your own righteousness. You come on the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. And um, it's kind of like having a, a, a stained garment. Um, and uh, you take it off and you put on a clean garment. Uh, Jesus has taken off our stained garment and put his own perfect, righteous garment upon us so we can come into God's presence. That's a new trust that we're to called to. Um, so, uh, called to God's way, to what has he called us? First of all, a new trust. Secondly, a new relationship. A new relationship. Look at verse 16. Um, he says, and we have believed in Christ Jesus. And we have believed in Christ Jesus. That word in, in the original, is a different word than is usually translated in. And it can also be translated into. And I kind of like that, tr that translation because it is true that the Bible says when you put your faith in Jesus Christ... You are placed into Christ, and he comes to dwell in you. So that you're called in Christ. Um, relationships that we have are on the outside most of the time, right? You, you have your spouse. You have a relationship with them, and uh, you interact with each other. You talk to each other. You spend time with each other, and so forth and so on. But these things are, are things that you do in your physical body. Yes, you may have feelings for them in your heart, but the relationship is based on this outward time that you spend together. Um, maybe you have a good friend. Uh, Phillips mentioned his friendship tonight. That's, that's a great il illustration. Uh, praise God if you have a good friend that you have been blessed to spend time with and enjoy their fellowship. But it's done on the outside, isn't it? Only a relationship with Christ goes beyond the barrier of our skin into our hearts. Jesus comes to live within our very soul. And so he knows us as no one else knows us. He loves us because the Bible says while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So he loves us despite the fact that he knows us perfectly. And he enters into the most intimate kind and personal kind of relationship that we could have. And that is a spiritual relationship within us. So that no matter where you are, Christ is walking with you. No matter what circumstance you're going through, Jesus Christ is walking through that circumstance with you. No matter what pain you have, Jesus Christ is there with you to help you through that pain. Um, you can talk to him at any time. Uh, I, I remember when I when I became a new Christian, and my dad shared with me, uh, Roger, you can pray silently. 
because God knows your thoughts. And I thought about that. Hmm, isn't that interesting? And so I would do that. Sometimes I'd be sitting in the car and be saying, okay, Lord, you know what I'm thinking right now. Would you handle this problem or something? And I'm just thinking this. Isn't that cool? God knows what I'm thinking. Some of you women wish your husbands knew what you were thinking, right? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but God actually does know. And, and he responds to us. Such an amazing thing. This is a relationship like no other relationship. And here's the, here's the neat thing. People disappoint us, don't they? No matter who, no matter what relationship you have, at some point or, or another, you will disappoint that person because we all have a sin nature. And we all fail and we all stumble. But here's the thing about God. God knows every sin we ever have or will commit. Already he knows about it and he still said, I choose you. I choose to love you. I choose to welcome you. I choose to receive you when you put your faith and trust in my son, Jesus Christ. Um, what an amazing thought. This is the relationship. It's an unconditional love like no other unconditional love we could ever know. Because God already knows all our failures. Uh, he paid for those failures at Calvary so that we could have this relationship. Never be shy about coming into God's presence. Never be shy. If you're in a temptation, come to him for help. Uh, if you're struggling, if you fail, come to him. The devil will tell you, don't go to God. Look at what you've done. Don't listen to him. You be confident. What did, Je what did the scripture say about uh, what Jesus has done? Because of what Jesus has done, we can enter the throne of grace boldly. And so... Never be shy. Why? Because you've been called to a new relationship and it is based upon this unconditional love of God for you. So, called to God's new way. What are we called to? A new trust, a new relationship. Thirdly, a new righteousness. A new righteousness. Christ's righteousness. I've, I've talked about that some already. But uh, <clears throat> did you know Jesus never sinned in his words? Sins of speech. The Bible says if any man doesn't offend in word, he is a perfect man. Jesus never offended in word. Jesus never went down the wrong trail in his mind and had an impure thought life. Jesus never failed to do what he should do. I was joking about that with, with the folks in my Sunday school class this morning. Can you imagine being Jesus' sibling? Why can't you do it like Jesus does it, you know? I mean, wouldn't that be hard? But Jesus never failed to do what he should do. He never did what he shouldn't do. In every facet of his life, Jesus was completely perfect. He fulfilled the law of God. He fulfilled the moral law of God. He fulfilled the ceremonial law of God because it all looked forward to him. Uh, he, he fulfills the judicial law in the sense of uh, Israel's governmental law because now it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. We are un we're not under the theocracy of a nation on earth. Now we are under the theocracy of Jesus Christ who rules at the right hand of God. He fulfills every part of the law. And so Jesus is perfect. His righteousness. 
They, they said in the Old Testament, the lamb had to be without spot or without blemish. And the priest would actually cut apart these animals. And if there was any blemish or anything that was faulty in those, the, the animal would be rejected. Because it had to be offered as a sacrifice to God and it had to be perfect and whole. And so uh, Jesus is the lamb without spot or blemish. Now, why is that important to you and me? Because that's the righteousness that we're clothed in. That's your basis to come to God in prayer. That's your basis uh, to, to have a relationship with God. Listen, nothing in my hand I bring, only to the cross I cling. Every good thing that God has given to me and every good thing that God has given to you, He has given because of His grace in Jesus Christ. Every gift that you have to serve God, every um, blessing that God has bestowed upon you, if it's a relationship, whatever it may be, all of these things are from God. Through the grace of God, there's not one good thing that God gives me because I deserve it. I don't want what I deserve. <laughs> um, I want what Christ deserves. And so uh, that's the righteousness that I'm called to. That's the righteousness that I'm called to. Why settle for my own faulty righteousness when I can put my trust in Jesus' perfect righteousness? Why try to earn salvation when I can receive it as a gift bought and paid for by Jesus at Calvary? I'm called to a new righteousness. So there's a new trust, a new relationship, a new righteousness, and, and fourthly, a new admission. A new admission. Verse 17 says, If we ourselves are also found to be sinners while seeking to be justified by Christ. Did you know that nobody can get saved unless they first of all realize they're a sinner? Is Christ then a promoter of sin? Absolutely not. Some people will say, well, if you believe in justification by faith, if you believe that the righteousness of Christ is credited to you, you could just live any old way you want to live. That's what people will say. And that's basically what Paul is saying here. He's saying, look, is Christ a promoter of sin? No, absolutely not. In fact, what God does by setting you free from the Old Testament law is he changes you from the inside out. You remember the Israelites, they're the Valley of Dry Bones. Um, God said in Jeremiah, another one of the prophets, he says, he says look, I, I, I have reached out to you, I've sent prophets to you, and time again you failed, and, and you haven't followed me, and, and I'm bringing this message to you now, and you're still not receiving it, but I've, I've got a plan. The outward law has not changed you inside. I'm going to bring about a new situation and write my law upon your heart. And that's what God did through Jesus Christ. And at Pentecost, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit of God regenerates us. He saves us. He makes us what, what God, God told Nicodemus through Jesus. <laughs> makes us born again. Makes us a new creation in Christ. The law of God. Now I've got a new set of desires in my heart to follow God and to honor God and to please God. But I also have the Holy Spirit of God who has come down within me to live that righteous life through me. And so God is our partner in helping us fulfill that righteous life. And so um, 
Verse 18 says, if I rebuild this system I tore down, I show myself to be a lawbreaker. There's a couple different ways you could take this verse, but uh, what I believe he's talking about here is if I come to get forgiven, I'm showing myself to be a lawbreaker. And uh, there's, that's not a bad thing. Uh, that's w- you have to recognize that you're a sinner in the eyes of God. And that is one great use of the law. If you read the law, uh, the law will show you your sinfulness and your need for Christ. Um, I remember uh, I felt led. I had been preaching through Exodus at my last church. And I felt led. I thought, well, I'm going to go somewhere else. I got to the, the tabernacle. Ah, people don't want to hear about that. I'm going to go somewhere else. And just sensed a nudging in my heart. Keep on preaching through that, you know. And so I, I did, and then I went to Leviticus. Are you sure, Lord? Yes. Keep on preaching through that. You know, uh, and uh, as I preached through the law, something happened. I, I thought that people would be unmoved and bored by what's, what's there. Uh, but God began to do a work, and he began to convict people of sin. And we started having all these people saved. Why? Because the law was showing them their need for Christ. And the law has this way of just cutting through and showing us where we are. And so the law is good in that regard. And it is good in that sense for a Christian to see a sin in their life and to recognize it so they can confess it to God and restore their fellowship. But it is not the basis for our trust and our getting to heaven. Only Jesus Christ can do that for us. So that new admission is a call to admit that we're sinners and that we need Jesus. We can't do it ourselves. Um, over and over again, when we go out in the community, we hear people say, we say, how do, you know, what, do, what is your view on how a person gets to heaven? And they'll tell us, do more good works than bad works. Or do more good things than bad things. Or uh, believe in Jesus and do good stuff. No. It is only trust in Jesus Christ that saves a human soul. It is only the righteousness of Christ that can get us through the gates of heaven. I'm so glad I don't have to worry about how good I am. There's times I sin and I don't even know it. You ever had that happen? I remember one time I was in Texas uh, and I prayed, God, if I sensed that there was something that wasn't quite right in my relationship with the Lord. I said, Lord, if there's something wrong if there's some sin in my life would you please show me and God took the next hour and he showed me thing after thing after thing after thing after thing in my life that was wrong and I confessed I felt you know kind of like one of those dogs with their tail between their legs you know I just kind of felt like wow I had no idea so much was wrong in my life aren't you glad if you're in that situation and Jesus were to come back and you didn't know you'd sinned against him you're still going to go up there to be with glory because it doesn't depend on your righteousness. It depends on the righteousness of Christ. And so, uh, yes, confess your sin for the fellowship, but, but put your trust in Jesus Christ and recognize your need. Admit your need for a Savior and put your trust in Him. I want to tell you something. When you begin to recognize the freedom that you have in Christ and the joy that can be there in your relationship, it is not performance. Jesus has done the performance. Our relationships, human-wise, our relationships tend to be performance-oriented, aren't they? You know, hopefully you are blessed to have a family that loves you warts and all. To have friends that love you warts and all. But the vast majority of relationships and human relationships are based on performance. 
You know how I know that? The divorce lawyers are pretty busy. Say, I promise to stay with you until you displease me. And people people are basing the thing. Oftentimes with kids, and you know, I, I, I can't imagine. You gotta perform to be loved. Kids playing a sport, they don't even like the sport. They're playing it because mom and dad want them to play it. They're, they're going into a vocation that they don't even like. Why? Because mom and dad have these expectations. I'm not going to be loved if I don't do what mom and dad want me to do. And some people are still, years later into their adulthood, still trying to please mom and dad. They're workaholics and doing all these things, trying to please mom and dad because they've never felt accepted for who they were. I want to tell you something. That's never the case with God. Never the case. God accepts you and loves you and values you, period. I love that scripture in Psalm 139. It says, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know my down sitting and my uprising. You see my thoughts from afar. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Isn't that, isn't that neat? Uh, this little boy had a t-shirt on one time when I was when I was growing up. It said, I'm something special because God don't make no junk. And, you know, that's true. God fashioned us. He designed us. We're the masterpiece of the master designer. And he loves us with an everlasting love. I love the, uh, the fact that we're given eternal life. Sometimes people say, well, don't, don't you believe you can lose your salvation? How long is eternal life? It's not life till you mess up or life till you blow it. It's eternal life. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. We have, uh, we enjoy the measure of that now, but in eternity, it will be forever. And there will be no limit to the blessing of that abundant life. This is God's plan for you. God has loved you with an everlasting love. Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. Peter, you denied me three times. I lay it down for you. Disciples, you forsook me in the garden. I lay my life down for you. Thief on the cross, you ridiculed and cursed me. I lay my life down for you. Every human being that's ever lived, you did not seek me, but I seek you. I choose to lay my life down. This is the love of Jesus. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I love the scripture in Colossians. It talks about the fact that uh, when we were God's enemies, he reconciled us through the blood of Christ. Think about that for a second. Then, If you really want to get on shouting ground, go to Romans 5. And he says, for if when we were God's enemies, that means when we were lost and, and we were, our, our whole hearts were set in an opposite direction to the things of God and we were his enemies, if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, 
having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? I'm going to tell you something. If God loved you when he, you were his enemy, how much more does he love you now? Hold on to that. Trust in that. Take the new way, the way that Jesus has provided, and then stay in that new way. Keep your trust in him, uh, not just for your salvation, but for your fellowship. Jesus is always sufficient. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the incredible work of your son at Calvary's cross. Thank you for his spotless and righteous life. Thank you for the new way that you have called us. It's a new and living way through the blood of Jesus. Thank you that you cleanse us and and you make us your children and you give us eternal life and you set your love upon us. That love is more powerful than the grave. And God, I just pray that we would live in the fullness and the blessing of knowing how you love us. Help us never be shy about coming into your presence. Help us never to feel like we're performing, Lord, for acceptance before you. Help us to draw near. And Father, I pray that uh, we would keep our sins confessed so that we would be able to stay in the the closeness of fellowship with you that we need. And uh, Father, just help us remember when the enemy whispers in our ear, you're not worthy, but Christ is worthy.